0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 9. Uh, We're going to look at the first eight verses. And the first eight verses uh, contain the the, uh, transfiguration, is what my Bible calls it. This is this physical change that Jesus experiences Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where his disciples have an opportunity to see him in all of his glory. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so I'm going to go ahead and read beginning in verse 1, which actually connects the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. And he, Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, that is, that they will not die, until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And the reason this is important to remember is because we're moving off Jesus' initial explanation to his disciples in preparation for his death. And we went all, through all of that before. I know it's been a little while. I know I've been gone for a while, but I know it's been a little while. But, but this is where we're coming at. This is the momentum. This is the current. As the disciples. hear the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. They hear preaching of a new message with authority and power. They see miracles, absolutely. They, they see people released from the power of evil. So we have this momentum going on. And then Jesus introduces to them the fact that he's going to die. And this just doesn't make sense. They don't comprehend that. And so verse 1 here is tying us into uh, reaching back into where the disciples are at. And then after six days, Jesus took with him uh, Peter, James, and John. Uh, James and John are also affectionately known as the sons of thunder because of their temperament, their brothers. "...and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, or changed before them, that is, in their presence. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach or wash them or cleanse them." This is Jesus' physical garments. "...and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking or interacting with Jesus." And peter said to the Lord Rabbi this is a term of endearment of honor and respect it means teacher master it is good that we are here let us make three tents or tabernacles one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah for he did not know what to say and then Mark tells us for they were terrified and just once again i know i've done this many times remind you that mark received his gospel from peter and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud This is what the voice said, this voice said, this is my beloved son, listen or obey him, listen to him or obey him, and suddenly looking around, and they were no longer, there was no longer anyone uh, who was with them, but only Jesus. And so we have an opportunity tonight to see Jesus in his glorified state, by Mark's words to be sure. And I think one of the reasons it's important for us to see uh, Jesus in this state is because it's how we are changed and transformed. You can have an experience that changes you. You can see something that that alters who you are, the very core of who you are. And and, and that's what we're going to consider tonight. It was a number of years ago, probably about 2014, if I can remember correctly, uh, when when Wanda and I were going to to, to fly to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and so as is uh, the case with us, we left very, very early in the morning. We get every place. We get there, you know, a couple of hours early, get checked in, and when we get to the gate, and I feel like it's when we get to the gate, the bags are checked, and get to the gate, it's like when you can have that warm beverage, and maybe a muffin or something, and just relax, and so uh, I had our our, our seats there uh, in, in at the gate and our luggage, our carry-ons, and Wanda went off to get her breakfast and then after that she would return and I would go get mine. And out of the corner of my eye I noticed, you know, Limburg Field is right next to the... Uh, um, uh, Recruit Depot uh, there, can't think of the name right now, but the Marine Corps Depot, and it's boot camp, and so I saw these young Marines over to the sides, but, but they were dressed in their, in, in their dress blues, in their, their finest uniform. And, and the thing that, you know, it's early in the morning, the thing that struck me is I go, look how young they look, you know, and, and, and kind of a big time respect for them, you know, and their youth, and, and I'm thinking, you know, they've traveled some distance, they're not home, they're here, they defend our country, they defend me, and so I'm looking over in their direction just as I'm, you know, I'm a people watcher and, and that's a lot of fun. And I notice that they began to begin to become more and more of them. They, they had this, this box that they were caring for, and it was, best I could tell, it was wooden on the frame, but it was plexiglass or glass on the front. And as, I, as I, I'm nosy, I, I know you guys aren't nosy, but I'm a little nosy, I was looking at this box, later came to, to find out it was called a shadow box, I noticed that there was folded up inside a flag, and that there were shiny metals that were hanging down didn't quite know what to make of it, and then finally it came time to board, and announcement came over that we were getting ready to board, you know, they get you into your groups, and I don't move because I'm always in the last group, you know, and what's the use? And so I'm sitting there, and they said, but we asked it before you board that, that out of respect you allow these young Marines, men and women, to board, and that they're accompanying a fallen soldier home. And that, all of a sudden, everybody at the gate got quiet. And we stood back and Marines went on board and then we slowly went on. But it wasn't like any other boarding. There wasn't the pushing and the shoving. There wasn't the impatience. It was somber. Remember, sometimes you can see something that changes you. You can see Jesus and he will change or alter you. We got on board and noticed that the the young Marines were sitting over in these seats, and again youthful, and you know, kidding around, and very much there was camaraderie and uh, unity amongst them. And Finally we come into SeaTac Airport that is in Seattle, and the pilot comes over the announcement as we're taxiing towards the gate there. And he says, out of respect for this fallen soldier, we ask that you would allow these marines to depart off the plane first. My friends, nobody moved. You've been on a plane, when, as soon as it comes up to the gate, everybody stands up, they start opening the overheads, reaching. Nobody moved. It just so happened that I could see out the window, and I could watch these young Marines come around and they're coming down where the baggage would come down was the casket and everybody was at attention and there were there were first responders or there were policemen with their 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 lights flashing on their car and there were firemen and you know they were all standing in lines so that the casket would pass before them and as the casket came before them they all saluted but prior to removing the casket fully from this, from this uh, mechanism that was bringing it down, everybody stopped and they came and they placed, they draped a flag, American flag, over the top of the casket and nobody on the plane moved. Finally, we were encouraged by the, the, the flight attendants to leave and nobody said a word And instinctively, everybody left the plane, went up the long ramp, and then came over to the windows, where the windows were, and we would continue to watch as the rain kind of drizzled down, this is Seattle, right? And, and what we were beholding and what we were seeing was almost sacred in its nature. Sacred in, 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 in being able to see it. So much so that as I sit there, I didn't have any words. But let me tell you, I had within me a wondrous gratitude, especially when I saw the family. The family standing there and, and, and quiet and the casket going into the hearse and people... And almost everybody on that flight was against pressing against that window, watching this sacred moment. Because you see, we can see something that changes us. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, out of the four Gospels, three of them record what took place so that you and I will see Jesus in such a way that it changes us. It alters you and it alters me. We we certainly see his glory described in human vernacular and language the best that it can be done. But let me read to you a passage. It's not in your notes. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. Some have been asking us to Danny what What Bible do you use? I use the English Standard Version Bible. And it's what appeals to me. It has more of a word for word from the original language translation. Sometimes I'll admit it's a little rough um, because of its adherence to the original uh, language. It's not so much a, a thought for thought but a word for word. So listen to me as I read to you. Remember, what we see of Jesus changes us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all, all of us, he's writing to Christians, all of us, and we all, with unveiled, unencumbered vision, with clarity of sight, beholding the glory of the Lord. And that's what we see tonight on the transfiguration. We behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That when you and I worship we see Jesus, that when you and I consider the Word, or communion, as we're going to, at the conclusion of our Bible study, all together observe communion together, that when you and I fellowship with each other, when you and I stop and think about the things the Spirit is welling up within us, when we experience this, we are being changed gradually, right, one degree of glory to another, but you are being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. So much so that when you are presented to God on that last day, you will be like Jesus. Your character and your nature will be exactly like His because by faith, through the totality of your life on this world, you have looked into the pages of Scripture and you have seen Him. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I I, I am the most impatient man on the face of this planet. I have Costco and I got my cart. An interesting thing about the carts at Costco, I have this gift, I haven't found it in the Scripture, I have this gift. I watch somebody come up and they put, you know, they're good sized carts, they come up and they, they, you know, they come up to the entrance and they leave the cart there and it works properly. I place this brown hand upon that handle right there and I start pushing it and that front right wheel starts going like this, going like this. I don't know if any of you have that gift, but I have that gift. I have that strange ability, you know, it keeps making it want to go that way. A, you know, and if you've been to the Carmel Mountain, as it goes straight to the big screen TVs. I actually think God's trying to tell me something. It goes immediately in, the, in, in that direction. But we were being transformed. Danny, what does that have to do with the Costco? I don't know. It just came across my mind. But um, on the screen, you're going to see, a, uh, well, the title of tonight's Bible study is The Mountain and the Cross. The mountain is the Mount of transfiguration. And the cross is the cross of Jesus. And there's a subtitle. And I want you to think about this. Jesus was glorified on the cross as much as he was on the mountain. That's where we're going, especially as we head into Communion. That Jesus was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, to be sure. But He was also glorified on the cross when He died for your sin and for my sin. When He acted in complete and total obedience to the Father. And as we consider that, we are changed. John Piper said this quote should be on the screen as well. The glory of God is the, and this is a definition, this is his best definition, because we throw this word glory around in church, you know, some churches a little more than others, glory, glory, I like that, I like that, glory, but this is his attempt to define what God's glory is, and and the word is a challenge because it's like beauty, you know, it's like beauty. You think of, you know, what's beautiful to one person isn't necessarily beautiful to another person. It's like the thermostat in my home. What I think is a beautiful setting on that thermostat is not necessarily a beautiful setting for my wife. Well, let me read to you what John Piper says. He says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections, plural. I'm going to read that again. As you hear me talk about Jesus being glorified, this is what we're talking about. The glory of God is the infinite, no end, no end, infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament will remember when God revealed himself to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. This was a, a unique time in Israel's history. It was quite a scene, some would say. The sizable mountain Sinai quaked in response to God's presence. And the people, why the people, why they were terrified as they gazed in the direction of the summit and as they saw what was described as smoke rising from a furnace. Can you imagine being brought out into the wilderness having God lead you out into the wilderness and, and you camp just like we were up at uh, San Clemente last week and you camp and you settle down and you understand that your leader is going to take you to a promised land but, but, but you're not quite sure what that means and as you're camped at the base of this mountain God comes down and there is, my friends, there is a furnace there's smoke coming up from the top of this mountain And the mountain is shaking. If you and I have confidence in anything, it's in a mountain. It's not going to move. In California, they might move a little bit, but for the most part, it's not going to move. But this mountain is shaking, and the only reason it's shaking is because God is there. And then there were flashes of lightning and the pounding of thunder. But the thing that caused the people to beg for Moses' intercession Was when they heard, listen to this, was when they heard God's voice. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter five. Before I read this, I want you to remember that this this what what I'm reading you tonight was Moses' words to the people prior to them entering into the land of promise. Why don't you remember tonight that forty years have gone by since this took place, and that a generation is now buried in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 5, I'm going to begin in verse 22. This is a portion, so, but I'm going to read it to you nonetheless. Listen to what Moses said to these people in preparation to enter the land. These words, remember the people f- were terrified at God's voice. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, out of the midst of the cloud and the thick darkness. Listen to this again, with a loud voice. And he added no more, that it is everything that was said was completed. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. This is Moses testifying as to what happened. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me. All the heads of your tribes and all of your elders, that is all of the leaders of Israel, you came to me. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have, listen to what he said, we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen, this day we have, today we have witnessed God speak with a man to you, Moses, and a man still lived. We questioned as to whether that could happen, if God could speak to a man and that he would still live. And now we have seen that that has taken place, but it's taken place with you. Now, therefore, why should we die? If He speaks to us, we feel like we're going to die. For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh, of all humanity, that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Now listen to verse 27 and I'll be done. Now, with the Bible study with this portion of Scripture. So they tell Moses, "Go near. You go to him. We're not going to go to him. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us. You come and tell us what the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and we will do it." Basically, they're saying, "We can't stand God. His voice is terrible to us. It's frightening to us. It it shakes not only the mountain, but it shakes us as we hear it, out of the fire, out of the darkness." out of this this terrible scene. I want you to know that unfortunately, much of Israel's history is a record of them not following through on their promise in verse 27 when they tell Moses, God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. But tonight we go to a different mountain. We're no longer at Sinai. There's going to be some contrast, but we're no longer at Sinai. We go to a different mountain. And there God will speak. For the purpose of man to come near. For the purpose of you and I to draw near. To be close by. And get this. Men will see God and live. This isn't Sinai where you would see God and die. They will see God and they will live. And I want you, as you sit here tonight, I want you to think about seeing Jesus. Remember, that is how you're changed. That is how you're transformed. But I want you to know that is how you really live. Many promises in this world on how to live. Many promises that, that in various ways that if you do this or you achieve that then you will really live. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the only way you will live is, is if you see Jesus tonight. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 the writer of Hebrews captures this idea of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That is, in Jesus we see God, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One of the things that has been pointed out to me over time is that when the priests were done with their priestly duties within the the temple or the tabernacle, that they would sit down, that their their work was complete. So that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended to to the right hand of the Father, he is done. It is finished. As, As a matter of fact, it is so complete that there's nothing for you and I to add to it. But we, like him, rest or abide in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I want you to take note tonight, as I've already read through the passage, but take note that the men accompanying Jesus are invited to see his glory in the same way that you tonight are invited to see Jesus' glory. And my friends, this is the furthest thing from religion. Religion. The transformation that takes place in the human heart by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, by the grace of God is the furthest thing that that any individual could say is even religious in nature. It is God inviting you to come near. In Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 4, there's a passage where it says that we are to come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need. The idea is that the throne room to God, the doors are wide open. They are continually wide open for you, twenty-four-seven, to come and to be in the presence of God. Because Jesus, our High Priest, has ascended into the heavens before us, made a way. You know, I was thinking of uh, the word intimacy, and this is going to be a little bit of a different read on it. But um, last week, I had the opportunity to be with all four of my grandkids. And I forget this from time to time, but they're, they're pretty familiar with me. They're pretty familiar. And what I mean by that is that, that there are times that I'm just standing there. And this is going to be strange to some of you, but it brings great joy to my heart. I'll be standing there. I'll have my hands down like this. And they'll come up and they'll grab my hand, which is tender and I appreciate but they're not doing it because of affection, it's a game. And my grandson Teague came up and he grabbed my hand and I go, I, he lives in Arizona, I don't get to see him very often. And when I do see him, it just he's just grown so much, he's maturing so much. And the game is this. They start putting their fingers on my blood veins and they start squishing them. Isn't that weird? Absolutely, I know. Elder abuse, right? I mean, you know, and they just start, like, pushing them. And then they'll look up with a smile and say, Grandpa, you're squishy. And I go, a, a grown man doesn't want to hear that he's squishy. You want to hear that you're muscular and, you know, scary looking and kind of been working out. No, not Danny Ramos. And there's that intimacy. But you know what? Instead of pulling away, I draw near. Jesus's glorification on the Mount of Transfiguration is God's invitation for you to draw near to not be afraid of his voice And to realize that Jesus is the representation of his love for you and his grace Don't touch my veins on Sinai man was prohibited from seeing God in Exodus 33:20 God speaking to Moses said you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live God was telling Moses again Sinai the law that no man could endure being in the presence of God's holiness But I want you to consider that with Jesus on the mountain having invited his disciples to be with him to have this experience, that with Jesus on the mountain, hearing the Father's words, seeing the presence of Moses, who represented the law, Sinai, the presence of Elijah, representing or standing in for the prophets, is where God's multifaceted perfection is revealed, not only to his disciples, but to you and to me. And he calls for you tonight to come near. On the, cro- uh, on the screen you should see this quote. At the cross we see Christ's glory through tears of sorrow. On the mountain his glory through tears of joy. Our story as I said is, is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. In Matthew it's in chapter 17 and Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read a little bit from Luke tonight. It's important, it's important to have Jesus' mention of his death, his resurrection from Mark 8 in mind as you read this. Two things, the transfiguration prefigures Christ's resurrection. Remember, he's been talking about dying. But when they see him on the mountain, they're seeing as him as he will be post-resurrection. Then lastly, at his second coming. I think that his second coming, that is when Christ returns to this world, will shake this world in the same way that God's presence shook the mountain in the wilderness. When Jesus returns and speaks, everyone will be silent. Every human being on the face of this planet will be silent. As a matter of fact, I don't see how they can breathe in His presence. He is coming with glory and might. Listen to John's description from the island of Patmos in Revelation 1, verses 12 through 16. John is an aged man. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was one of the three fishermen that were with Jesus. He's probably the last apostle living And he's likely in his 90s when he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. He's a representative of seven churches in Asia Minor. In the midst of the lampstands there was one like the Son of Man. This is how Jesus described himself. It's a title out of Daniel that describes him. He uses to describe himself more than any other title. And what does he say of Jesus? That he was clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. This is a descriptive of the high priest. The hairs on his head were white like wool, like snow. This is apocalyptic literature. John is doing the best that he can to grab things out of this world in order to describe the God he sees. He's doing the, He's a first century man. He's a Galilean. And he sees Jesus and he starts grabbing words as he writes down. He is like this and he is like this and he is like that. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And my friends, if you were to take this description and compare it to what we're going to see here in a minute, you would say that that, that Jesus' glorification on the island of Patmos was a glimpse years earlier when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. The other gospels, Luke and Matthew tell us that Peter, James, and John were invited by Jesus to go on to the top of the mountain to pray. This was something Jesus did regularly. This wouldn't have seemed different to the disciples. It would have seemed like any other time. He's having us go pray with him. He's having us to encourage him. He's teaching us. He's instructing us. But this would be unlike any other time. Why? Because they were afraid and they didn't understand, they didn't comprehend what Jesus was saying about his death, burial and resurrection. And the answer, the answer was that they would see Jesus in, in exactly as he would be after his resurrection. And sometimes you and I are afraid. Sometimes you and I will, to speak for myself, sometimes we have anxiety and we worry. Sometimes we look at circumstances around us and we lose our bearing and the answer is that we see Jesus glorified and that we realize that God has everything under control. God has everything in your life and in my life and even in this world he is, has it under control and our remedy is to see Jesus Remember 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we behold him, we are transformed. We experience his peace. We experience his strengthening. These are the same disciples who went with Jesus to to Jairus' house when Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. These men would also follow Jesus deep into the Garden of Gethsemane as well as here on the mountain. Verse one again, and he said to them, "Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death." the word The word here "will not" is a double negative in the original language. It means they will absolutely not die before they see the kingdom, the kingdom of uh, They will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. And so, again, a strengthening of the disciples in light of what was about to happen in Jerusalem. With the disciples dealing with Jesus' words concerning the cross, the idea that some of their number would see the kingdom of God and that with power would be a source of hope. We understand that what Jesus is talking about here is the transfiguration that they were about to experience. All that Jesus is saying is that within their lifetime they would see this reality. I want to read you a passage from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Where the writer of Hebrews says, but we, do, but we do, we clearly do see him who was made a little, uh, for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And that is our great promise that we will not die. Oh, well, Danny, people, Christians die all the time. We will not die spiritually. We have no fear of death as far as being separated from God. We will die physically, our body will go into the ground. On Monday, right in this place right here, I, I, I officiated a memorial service. So I know that there's the potential for us to die physically, but we will never die spiritually. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that to be absent from the body is to be, in, actually to be in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus died for us. Jesus experienced spiritual death for us. Tim Keller says, if we, live to, if we live to old age, we can feel our bodies and our beauty fading. Yet if we are going and growing in God's grace, our souls, as it were, are becoming stronger and more beautiful. At death, this reversal becomes complete. Our bodies will disintegrate, and we will become blindingly glorious. Comfort yourself with these words, my friends. We will be complete one day, we will be whole one day, because Christ has gone before us. In Revelation chapter 1:18, regarding Jesus and death, And the Living One, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. That is death in the grave. Jesus is saying, I died and now I have the keys or I have authority over death in the grave. He's saying, don't fear to, to churches that were being persecuted, to churches who were watching one another being, being martyred and persecuted. He was saying, I have control of death in the grave. And because you belong to me, that though you may perish in this world, your soul will be with me for all of eternity. Mark mentions a high mountain, and I'm going to go through this quickly, but mountains have significance within the scripture. Eden was on a high mountain. Ezekiel 28, there's a lament uh, to the king of Tyre. and Verse 13 says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And then in verse 14, it says, you were on the holy mountain of God. The idea is that the river came out of Eden and then spread to the whole world. The ark came to rest on a mountain, Genesis 8, 4. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Then we know Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, 2. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I tell you, they have significance, they're important. And many scholars believe that Jesus himself died on or near Mount Moriah. We call it Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull, which was likely a quarry that was used in the building of the temple. Then lastly, Revelation 21, verse 10. Again, the significance of mountains in the scriptures. And he, the angel, carried me, John, away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Next, we see the glory, the mountain and the glory. We're told in verse 2 that... After six days, six days since Jesus told the disciples that there would be some in their number who wouldn't die until they saw the kingdom of God coming with power. After six days. It's interesting that in Exodus 24 we're told that that Moses waited on the mountain for six days before God invited him into the glory cloud. That is the visible glory of God. God invited Moses to come in. He was he was he was there with some leaders and he comes in and he disappears into into this cloud where he has this interaction with God. Some call it the Shekinah, or where God dwells. So they're up this high mountain. Context has the disciples with Jesus just before this at Caesarea Philippi. If you're at Caesarea Philippi, you're at the very base of Mount Hermon. His altitude is over 9,000 foot. So although we're not told which mountain this is or where on the mountain they are, we some assume that it's Mount Hermon. And so while he was praying on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured, metamorpho. That is, his glory is revealed, and the disciples are invited to see it. He is changed, and it impacts him. But Danny, how do we see it? We, by faith, see Jesus in the pages of scripture. We see Jesus when we worship. We truly see Jesus as the Spirit works in us and through us, and we are transformed. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 17, Peter writes, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the ma- majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, who, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, For we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter wants you to know tonight that he saw the glory of God. John puts it another way. John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father. Full of grace and truth. This evening I would like to encourage you that as you read through the scriptures that you would see Jesus. Remember, Jesus would tell Philip, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Danny, what do we look for? We look in Jesus for God's goodness and His mercy and His grace and His tenderness and His love. And when we see His character and His nature, We see the Father, and when we see the Father, we are changed and transformed. In Luke chapter 9, just a couple of verses, verse 29, it says, And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. I want you to see Jesus with glory emanating out of him. It was unique when Moses went into the cloud and came out. He, I don't like the word, but he glowed. He reflected God's glory in the same way that the moon reflects the sun's light. Jesus is not reflecting anybody's glory. He is the source of glory. Again, Luke is helpful regarding Moses and Elijah. We're almost done. Again, chapter 9, this time verses 30 and 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. They themselves, they themselves had a degree of glory and spoke of his departure. This is what they were talking about. They were talking about Jerusalem, they were talking about the cross. They were talking about what Jesus was about to do. Listen, when Jesus reveals his glory, he's talking about going to the cross and dying for us. This is what's on his heart. This is what's on his mind. This was his purpose and his mission. To die for you and to die for me so that we might experience this same transformation. Inwardly, my friends... He was talking about us. Remember again in Hebrews, this time chapter 12, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author, the originer, and finisher, completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, listen, despising the shame. Well, Danny, how did the disciples know who these men were? Did they have the Maranatha greeter ushers badge on that said Moses and Elijah? And weren't a lot of people named Moses and Elijah? Well, some think that perhaps afterwards Jesus explained to them as to whom he was speaking to and the content of their conversation. It's interesting that Mark leaves out what Luke is happy to tell you, and that is that the disciples had fallen asleep. Isn't it interesting, the humanity that enters into the Word of God? Yeah. Mark's like, we were doing this, and they were doing this, and they were doing that. And Luke goes, oh, by the way, they fell asleep. I say this with a bit of humility. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I was in a prayer meeting, and I did exactly the same thing. It was warm. I was tired. And as everybody's praying, I'm listening. Amen, amen, amen. And I fell asleep. Amen. We're going to wrap up with a couple of things because Peter says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us build these three tents, again, tabernacles for each one of you. And then Mark tells us the reason that he did so is because he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do, so he felt like he had to do something. And then he goes on to say that they were terrified. Remember the children of Israel? Remember the mountain? They were terrified. This is no small thing. There's no casual thing. Remember the, the young soldier that was being, his casket was going down. There's no small thing. It's very serious, very sobering. Something that, Peter, something that Peter's intent may have been to extend the time of Jesus' glorification in the building of these tents, which in his mind would have delayed the cross. We don't know. We close with this. cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. As a matter of fact, Matthew 17 tells us that the cloud interrupted Peter's suggestion. Father's words remind us of Jesus' baptism. Remember when the heavens were rent? They were open. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased here. This is my beloved son. Listen to him or obey him. So at this time I want to uh, invite the ushers to come in and uh, we're going to hand out the communion elements. Uh, if, if we could leave the lights on, that would be amazing. The band's going to come out and lead us in a song, uh, and I'm going to pray. If you need a communion element, please raise your hand to help our ushers know, uh, know who needs the elements. I actually need to grab one myself. Go ahead and raise your hand, please, nice and high, so they can see you. So, Father, this evening, with eyes of faith, we behold the glory of your your only Son, your unique, your special, your loved Son. We behold Jesus, who's obedient, Jesus who cares, Jesus who, when he was on on the Mount, interacted with the saints of the Old Testament regarding the cross, It's as though in his humanity he would allow himself to lean upon Moses and Elijah as they conversed about what was about to happen in Jerusalem. It's that his very transformation speaks to us of a God who cares about us, of a God who wants to deal with our sin because of that love to wash us and cleanse us and to make us new to give us an eternity in his presence to one day make all things new to be able to say for the old things that passed away I have made all things new and to open the door wide to us as we behold who you are the serpent would say no it's restrictive no no it's contradictory no you can't trust that they're only into it for your money and God would say no I want to make them new and whole and healthy. So tonight, Lord, prior to us taking communion, we ask that you would prepare our hearts. And in these elements, in these very simple, common elements, that we would see Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.